Welcome to Mindful Talk, brief conversations about mindfulness in the workplace and at home. I am your host, Lauren Wessinger. And I'm your host, Misty Anderson. And this podcast is brought to you by The Mindful Project. The Mindful Project helps you elevate the culture of your business by bringing mindfulness practice to you and your staff through in-person and virtual learning. Contact us through our website, themindfulproject.co, for more information. Welcome to episode 20, Obstacles in Your Meditation Practice. Hello, my friend. Hello, Lauren. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. It's a cold day, but I'm inside, so I'm grateful for that. Misty told me, you guys, that it's four degrees where she is. I don't know that I've ever been in four degree weather. It should never get like below one (laughs) hand, you know, like we should be able to hold up the temperature with two hands. Two hands only. Yeah. So I'm cold, but I'm inside, like I said. Good. You look cozy. You got a nice, nice cozy sweater on. Yeah. I've got three layers on under here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's these, it's times like these, we are so grateful for our homes, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's kind of funny. We're, we're starting out talking about home because we talk about in this podcast, the obstacles that we are going to face in regards to our meditation and mindfulness practice. And for me, the number one thing that stands in my way right now is my home and everybody in my home and the fact that we're all home a lot more. And so... I think a lot of people will relate to this and know that you can be in the middle of things right now, which might seem a little chaotic at home. I feel the same way. Um, However, you can make it work. You just kind of got to get creative and really think through things. Yeah, I, I think there's so many obstacles to practice. I, I don't know about you, but I could come up with 20 reasons right now why I wouldn't want to go sit on my cushion and have a formal practice. I mean, one of the things about this formal practice of mindfulness and meditation is that it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do by far. It's in my opinion, maybe not everybody feels this way. I think it's way harder than committing to a workout routine. I think it's much harder than um, anything, anything because sitting with your mind, oh my gosh, I'm not sure that there's anything more challenging for me, at least than sitting with my own mind for an extended period of time. So your obstacle is your mind, which was on my list, which is so true. Like if you think about it and you really scale all of it back, I think we just get in our own way and we are afraid of those thoughts. Um, We're sometimes, sometimes I get afraid of thoughts that I know I can't do anything about. You know, like right now I can't do anything about COVID. I'm doing what I can do, but I can't make it go away. And those thoughts will flood my brain. And I'm like, there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. So I know that a lot of people probably their mind is one of the biggest obstacles they will incur with meditation. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit before, right? Where people will say, I can't meditate because I'm so busy in my mind. I have so many thoughts. I can't stop thinking. So what 
Misty and I will definitely say to that is that that is why we practice. So if your obstacle is just what we're talking about, a busy mind, then thank goodness you're here. And if you didn't have a busy mind and 60,000 thoughts every day, there would be no meditation practice because we wouldn't have to organize our mind and come into new relationship with it. And so if your biggest obstacle is that you sit down and you just can't stop the stream of thoughts, then I'm going to say, awesome. That is great news. That's really why we're here and why we're doing all of this is for that exact reason. And if you can just get some training under your belt, like you would working out, then you would be able to sit there every day. It's just getting in that habit, you know? And that's, that's one of the things I had on my list too, was, um, you know, we talked about time blocking before in a previous podcast and getting really granular with our time um, and figuring out where something is going to go. And on my list of priorities, meditation always stays in the top three in regards to my wellness, because I know that I'm going to do physically something for my body, but I also have to do the mental piece. And as long as I put it on that list and I do it at the time that I allotted it for, it gets done. It's when my brain and my mind start doing weird stuff and telling me that I can fit it in later or this, you know, vacuuming takes precedence or having a call with someone takes precedence, whatever it is, it starts to go down. Um, I, I notice a big difference. And so I try to keep it top of mind and it should be for all of us, um, a muscle that we're flexing more often than daily. Mm-hmm. Totally. And there's a, I think I referenced this book last time, but Wide in the Window mm -hmm. by Elizabeth Stanley. She has this great uh, metaphor about why it's so hard to create a new habit. And she says that the gray matter of the brain, right? We can think about habits being a new groove or a new fold in the brain. And when we first start to do something, it's like a little small dent. And then over time, it becomes a larger arroyo, perhaps. And then after X amount of time, it becomes a Grand Canyon where that action is deeply embedded and ingrained as, as a habit. And just like the action of sitting down to meditate can become a Grand Canyon in the brain, so can the action of not sitting down and resisting and avoiding because the more we resist and avoid, the stronger that association becomes with that activity and the resistance. And so we have paired resisting with meditation for so long that it's like almost excruciating to sit down and do it. And so if we kind of know how the brain works in that sense, it's easier, I think, to understand like, okay, this is just my Grand Canyon of resistance, right? I'm going to recognize that I'm feeling this right now and I'm going to sit down anyway for five minutes a day for 60 days and literally create a new Grand Canyon in my brain for this habit. And it will set in over time. It can't not because of how the brain is designed and how it works. So interesting. I always love how you have good drops of science because so, you can't argue with it. And that, you, you know, yeah. so one of the things that I've um, come across as an obstacle, and it seems so ridiculous to say this, but it's true. I've had people ask me, you know, actually, I wouldn't even say asking, almost mocking 
my meditation practice as a way, like I'm seeking some sort of enlightenment, or perhaps I think I'm more knowledgeable than other people. Um, and the way I explained that to them was the real science of it. It's in all of us, but it's up to us to use it and, and to, to flex it and to practice it. Um, I'm not going into any kind of weird prayers or, you know, like levitating. There's been all, there's, I've had people that just don't know any, it's never been a part of their normal way of life and, and family members. And, just to tell them that, hey, I'm just sitting and giving my brain a chance to kind of filter through all the thoughts, see, check in with myself, see what's going on. Um, sometimes when it's easy, then I'm able to think, wow, that was easy. I wonder why it's easy. Well, yeah, today has been like a really good day and we did this and I I'm able to reflect on that. It's such a good feeling. And when I'm really rushed and I miss meditation and things fly by at the end of the day, I can usually reflect back and say, hmm, I missed meditation. I can totally see why I was so short with everyone at dinner and I rushed through baths and things like that. So it becomes a part of your every day, but it's getting in there and making it a true habit, like you said. Mm -hmm. And the obstacles that you have to overcome can be many and it can be a long list, just like you said, but if you commit to it, and I really liked how you said this 60 days, um, like it'd be really, the great thing about meditating is you don't need anything. You don't need to tell anybody. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to have a single thing to do it. You can sit down on the floor or sit down in a chair and take two to five minutes for yourself. You don't, you don't even need your phone. It works to have like a timer. I like that. But otherwise, you don't need anything. And so what if you just started this own little personal journey where you told no one and you just did it for yourself and you see how many days you can go with meditating? I think that'd be really cool. And I think if you told no one, I bet you someone would say something about a change that they'd seen in you in a month or two. Mm -hmm. Do you think so? Yeah, I really do. Yeah. I think it's such a personal journey and, and while the community is part of it, and we'll talk about that a little more in the mm -hmm. next podcast, I also think it's honestly nobody's business. You know what I mean? It's your journey and people, especially that don't have knowledge of the journey may or may not understand. You don't really want their opinion. I mean, it's not, it's not for that, you know? And I think the, of course, the unknowns to people that have never understood the practice I totally get it. I totally get it. And yeah. yeah, I mean, there's hundreds of types of meditation in the world and some are for transcendence, you yes. know, some are to take you to another place. Um, and some are just to open up to life as it is, which is more the, the style that you and I practice. Um, but, you know, if people kind of start harping on it and sort of asking questions that feel critical, you could say, I love what you said. I mean, you could say, yeah, there's a lot of styles. There's hundreds of methods. The one I enjoy is this for this reason. And so part of getting over the obstacle of, of committing to practice is knowing why you're practicing, knowing what style you're practicing, understanding its lineage, and just having a little bit of knowledge about what exactly it is that you're doing. Um, that helps you. And you know, if you feel like you want to explain it to somebody, you have a little info that way. Yeah. Well, and I think what you'll find is me too. I mean, we discussed my journey last time with meditation and how 
when you and I started and you were training me, you know, I started with a couple of minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot. And at the beginning, you were my only resource. Like you told me to do it. I did it. And then I came back and I reported to you. And as slowly as I started learning, like as just what I could do, then I started reaching out for other like ways to explain it and share it with people because I was seeing such big benefits in my life. And I think most people will experience that, but you got to get the train moving first for yourself before you can do any of that. Right. Right. But I do think that the benefits of a daily practice, I, I started seeing results in a couple of months mm-hmm. um, and they're small. You're, I mean, you're not going to like change your world or solve all your problems. Yeah. I wish that was the case, but you know, I started seeing small things that used to make me very impatient or, you know, really be a trigger for me start to calm down a little bit. And I started to recognize those, which helped me, you know, move through them. Yeah. I'm glad you said a couple of months because I think another obstacle is that in this sort of instantaneous tech life that we live, we think, well, I've been meditating for a week. I should feel different. Yeah. And while you may have like a bit of a honeymoon period at first, there's a time when everything kind of plateaus and you might get bored. Boredom is an obstacle. Um, You might want to give up because it's not, it's, one of the least exciting things, although it can be very exciting, depending on what kind of experience you're having. And I think just the steadiness with it is really key. Like you're not looking toward the end of the month, you're looking toward the end of the year or your lifetime when you're looking at this journey and it builds at a snail's pace. And so just understanding that I think is super helpful that, um, Every day is different and, and it's very slow. It's a very slow, beautiful process. Do you ever think about like 85-year-old Lauren doing her meditation practice? Totally. Like, right? I Because like what you said, it's a forever practice. I think it's probably one of the only things, maybe other than like chess or, you yeah. know, something like that, that you can really practice forever. Yeah, it was so funny. I was talking to the kids last night about shaving our heads for some reason. I can't even remember how it came up, <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to totally shave my head when I'm an older lady. They're like, yeah, cause you're going to be old and wise. And <laughs> it's like, I'm so glad you see me that way. Yeah. But you know what? Your kids see you doing the work and what a beautiful gift to the next generation. Um, if we can all use this very turbulent time in our world to kind of go inward and start doing the work. I think this is where a lot of healing can come for our country. Mm-hmm. And so if we can all kind of go inward, start doing the work, our little people see us doing the work, then for them, it's just like, I mean, I can be meditating and my kids know that if I'm sitting there and I mean, we're talking seven and four and super interrupters. Okay. Mom, 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 mom. Okay. But they can see me meditating or doing yoga and they'll poke their head down the stairs. They see it. They don't say anything to me. They're very respectful and they go back. Yeah. And that took a long time, but they see me do it. They know what I'm doing and they go about their business. And so I think about them and their mindfulness practice down the road. It's not going to be a big deal. They're going to be like, I'm going to meditate for a few minutes and I don't care who's watching me. I don't care. You know what I mean? Whereas me, if I were in public and I suddenly closed my eyes, I'd worry, oh, is everybody looking at me? And 
do I have enough time and yada, yada, yada. Whereas my kids are just going to be like, time to meditate because this is what we do, which is awesome. It is awesome. So if you're a parent, this is a great way to start your own journey that's aside from your kids, aside from your spouse, that everyone around you will reap the benefits, including yourself the most, which is Mm -hmm. most important. Yeah. It's, it's the most annoying advice I give to parents probably because I get a (laughs) lot of people that come to me and say, I want to start my kid with mindfulness practice. And I'm like, you're not going to want to hear this, but guess who it starts with? (laughs) Starts with you because I mean, of course we all want mindfulness for our children and, but if we, as the stable adult in their lives are completely unstable and, and not tending to our own nervous system and brain, the mindfulness practice for them is going to be not so effective. It'll help of course, but because their nervous system is still being built and adapts to ours more than anybody else's, yes. we have to take care of ourselves, you know, um, You know, one of the things you said about it healing communities, I think is really great right now, because I think what the practice teaches us too is, is to move away from blame. And there's so much blame right now. And I do it too. I'm in total blame mode of, of so much that's happening in the world, but we start to see that things aren't happening to us you know, things are just happening. And sometimes a lot of it is being generated from us by our reactions to things and our habitual ways of seeing things. And meditation kind of strips all of that away where we see, it's like, this is a really common metaphor in yoga and meditation where we see we are shooting the second arrow. Like the first arrow is the thing that happens that's out of our control. And then the second arrow is the suffering we place on top of that action because of how we are reacting to it or responding to it. And so meditation helps us kind of soften that second blow of our own self-produced suffering, if you will. Oh, COVID, I tell this to everybody, um, mindfulness and my meditation practice is what's kept me going during this very isolated time yeah. um, because I like I have bits of, and I'm sure lots of people do. I'm just mad. Like I'm mad that this happened. I'm mad that our government wasn't ready. I'm mad my kids are at home. There's just a lot of mad. And if you let it, those feelings become just so much, they become Mm -hmm. tangible. And my work every day when I sit down is to let go of my anger and focus on what's under my roof and the people that I can influence and impact. And, but it is a daily practice. And that's my, literally that's my practice right now. It's just not because I, I turn on, you know, I get on a huge obstacle, social media. Um, I get on Facebook and I see people hugging and living their best life and not wearing masks and traveling. And it just is frustrating. And it will eat you alive. And I'm seeing it eat some of my friends. Um, And so that's my work right now. And I'm sure that I'm not alone. So if that is you right now, I would highly recommend, um, we're going to talk about like a little 
assignment, kind of a reflective assignment in a minute. Take this to heart. And if you can really um, sit down with your thoughts for a couple of minutes to start, you can start that work of letting that anger go of all the things that are happening right now and be able to focus more inward and on you and your family. So, yeah. Yeah, that's major. And I think, you know, there are going to be times when we sit down and we are completely overwhelmed by what's going on. And I do want to say that, that I deeply believe mindfulness is not one size fits all. And if you're having a situation where you're feeling overwhelmed and kind of out of control with your thoughts and emotions to stop the practice and to actually get some help with it. Um, There's plenty of trained, not only trauma-informed therapists, but trauma-sensitive or informed, however you want to call it, um, mindfulness teachers. And the traditional way of teaching the practice is not appropriate for somebody who's in active PTS or in an active trauma response. And if that's you, there's no shame. And there are thousands, millions of people just like you and plenty of help out there. Well, and they can help get you on a track in your practice where you can let some of those thoughts be able to look at them more judgment, non-judgmentally and get on your way without having someone to hold your hand. But yes, Mm -hmm. I totally agree. It's great to have somebody there for those types of situations. Yeah. Because it can actually re-trigger. Yeah. And so we want to really avoid that at all costs. Um, It can actually re-trigger some old stuff and make your situation temporarily worse. And so it's just as a practitioner and as instructors, like staying responsible with it, really. Yes, I agree very much. So a little practice for today. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like this one. So for a little homework, if you will, think about if you'd like to start a practice, if you've tried before and haven't been able to, um, if you're in a rut, think about what your obstacles are. Get really real with what your obstacles are, what your resistance is, and, and write it down. This is what's getting in the way. And see if you can start to organize your life in a way to work with those obstacles. And sometimes the obstacles are external and those are sometimes easier to work with than internal obstacles. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yes. So if it's external, just get real organized and practical. If it's internal, remember what we said about creating a new groove in the brain, and that's going to take some work. It's going to take some time, but every single time, you sit down to practice, it's strengthening that resolve and that habit neurologically. So trust that that's happening. I like it. This is, it's what will stand in your way, you know, and it's kind of a, I mean, what do they say? Every good offense is a good defense. Like (laughs) you've got a good game plan, you know, ahead of time, what's going to derail you from doing this practice. And so once you sit down, you know how you'll overcome it. And I think that's really important and a good key to success. So I hope everybody can take a look at that. Um, everybody's obstacles are different. And some of the, if you write down 10, please don't feel overwhelmed. <laughs> Just focus on what you really think is going to stand in your way. And, and like she said, separating the external ones, because you can do a lot with those for sure. 
Thank you so much for listening to Mindful Talk. We don't take it lightly that you spent your time listening to our podcast, and we are forever grateful. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. Welcome to a more mindful way of living and working. 